Destiny City. Destiny City. Destiny City. Destiny City. Destiny City Church, a community of believers committed to helping others find and fulfill their God-given destiny. He's given us a vision. He's given me a vision for here. He's given me a vision for the world. He's given me a vision for, for a lot of things. But, you know, sometimes we have to kind of separate those things out. But the one thing that we do have is a major vision that God has put in our heart. You know what vision is? It's not so much what you see with your eyes. It's what you see with your heart. Helen Keller said that poor is the man who can see with his eyes but has no vision. You know, we, we can see with our eyes, but if we don't have any vision, any idea where we're going, then chances are we're going to go somewhere we don't want to go. You know what I'm saying? Because that's why the Bible says in Proverbs 29, 18, without a vision, the people perish. Or as it says in the, in the uh, New International Version, without a revelation, without a revelation, a divine revelation from God, the people cast off restraint. That's why our country's in the mess it's in right now because people really have no vision because you've got die vision. You've got so many visions of where people want the country to go and they can't get together on which direction they want it to go. So whenever you've got die vision, you've got people going in separate directions. That's why last week when I preached on unity, having a unified body and what God wants to do in the church, and one of the major things that we are to do, according to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, is to endeavor, in verse 3 it says, endeavor to keep the unity of the faith in the bond of peace. Endeavor, what does that word mean? Strive. Work hard at keeping the unity. Whatever you do with everything else, you know. I mean, one of the things you can do to preserve the unity of the body of Christ is whenever someone presents a problem with no solution, then just stop and pray with them because there's a problem. If someone begins to, 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 to talk bad about someone else or point out someone else's faults and everything else or, you know, the pastor or the leaders of the church and these kind of things, then just, just stop because you can't help anything by doing that. You can only help by bringing those problems to someone who can solve them. Usually that is the one that you're talking about. Bring it to me. If we can't solve it, we'll figure out something. You know, God has a solution. We'll find it somewhere along the way. We may not agree on every single little point. You know, Jesus didn't agree with, 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 with his, uh, his disciples on everything, but that didn't cause a split among them, did it? There were opportunities for splits when they started one, you know, one to one up the other, and one wanted to sit on Jesus' right hand, one on the other. Jesus said, that's not mine to give. You don't understand. You know, I'm not after those who seek to be great. I'm after those who seek to be the servant of all because, really, that is the way you become great. As a matter of fact, you can't even become great until you become a servant. We serve our way into leadership. Everybody say that with me. We serve our way into leadership. Nobody can be an effective leader until they first learn to be an effective follower. That's why you go into the military. You, you don't go in and just automatically become a general. It doesn't work that way, does it? You got to go through the ranks. Unless you go to somewhere like West Point or the Naval Academy or somewhere like that or the Air Force Academy, and you are trained for leadership. But even there, one thing you always have to learn is submission. First thing you learn is submission. You know, my brother tells me that when he went to the Marine Corps, that he went into the Marine Corps, he was 17 years old, weighed a, a spunking 138 pounds when he went in. And uh, he said the first thing he learned when he got to Paris Islands, when he got off the bus, you know, there was a mean old drill sergeant that met him all when they got off the bus. 
looked them all in the eye and says, where are you from? Everybody yelled where they're from. He said, doesn't matter. Why you're here, I'm your father, I'm your mother, I'm your sister, your brother. And that's just the way that it was. And you didn't talk back to them. He said when he went to get a haircut, the barber said, son, how do you want your haircut? He told him, he just went, he said, there it is. You know, that's just the way it is. You submit to their rules. Some of them couldn't handle it. There are a lot of men who have died, literally Paris Island sits on an island. And there are a lot of men who have died trying to get off Paris Island because they couldn't stand the heat. They try to swim or they try to get away. They can't do it. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a tough place. But you have to be tough to be a Marine. How many know that? Any Marines in here? And the one thing about a Marine, what is it, Rick? Once a Marine? You never ask a Marine, were you a Marine? No, you say, are you a Marine? Because they always are. They're trained for it. That's the way they live their life. And so when someone asks you a question, are you, are, you, are you a Christian? You should be able to say, yes, I'm a Christian. I always have been, always, I mean, you know, when I gave my life to Jesus, I became a born-again believer. I'm a Christian, and that's the way I'm going to be, and it takes discipline to be one. But it takes vision. Without a vision, people perish. And, and young men go into, into the military with all kinds of dreams, and, and some have no vision, though. They just go in to get a good job, and they'll tell you anything to get you in there. You know, well, you know, I'd like to be in the technical field. Well, the next thing you know, they're in a field somewhere with a hoe. <laughs> Being technical. You can be as technical as you want to be with that. You know. <clears throat> but when we come into the kingdom of God, we have to bend our knee. We have to be willing to submit to the lordship of Jesus. The question was asked us this morning in our, in our Purple Book class. You know, when, when did you get saved or when, when did you come to know the Lord? And my, my answer to that was that I said yes to Jesus many times. I wanted to be saved, but it wasn't until I was 20 years of, old, of age that I accepted his lordship and became a believer. You see, because God changed my perspective on everything. And it wasn't so much about where I've been, it's where I'm going. And in order to get where I'm going, I have to change my perspective. I can't always be looking in the rearview mirror if I'm going to get to where God wants me to be. So this morning, I told you last week that I was going to share with you the vision that God had laid on my heart, that I wanted to restate it. Now, I've stated it before. Many of you were here, and many of you weren't here when I stated the vision. That's why I feel it's important to state it annually so that you'll know. Now, Habakkuk chapter 2 Verses 3 and 4 say to, God said to Habakkuk, said, write down the vision and make it plain so that they who read it may run with it. You know, God has told us to, to write down the vision and make it plain. So I want you to understand, and I've tried to make it as plain as I can for you, so that you'll understand where we're going as a church, where God has called us, and what our perspective of, of, of ministry is, and what God wants us to do so you can buy into it, so you know. You know, so when someone says, what is the vision of your church? You can tell them. But before we get started this morning, I want to share this one uh, little illustration. I've got this book that I encourage you to read, and it's called The Power of Vision by Dr. Miles Monroe. And you know, I told you that next week, or uh, Lydia had said that next week we're going to start a series called The 
purpose of man, the power and the purpose of men, or the purpose and the power of men. And, and, and it's a Bible study for, and we're going to do this in our, our Iron Men. Guys, this will help you. This will help you. If you will come on Saturday morning, we're going to spend a few minutes in that book. We're going to learn together. We're going to grow together. And so I encourage you to do that. But Miles Monroe, as, as many of you know, um, just uh, it's been maybe a little bit over a year ago, Miles was tragically killed in a helicopter crash with all of his staff and, and all of his associates that, that were part of his ministry. They all went to heaven together. I mean, what a way to go, you know, really. But uh, he was a powerful, powerful man of God. And the first time that I ever uh, saw Miles Monroe uh, was when we first became a part of Evangel Fellowship International. And we were at a conference down in South Carolina at the church there, the big church, um, Evangel Cathedral. And uh, he was speaking that night. And um, Evelyn Miles was getting ready to take a a contingency of women down to Russia to minister. And uh, she wanted to be able to have the ladies to be able to come. Now, Russia at that time was just coming out from under communism, very, very poor. The lady, the people didn't have any money, but she wanted these women to be able to come. So she decided that God would provide the way. And she told them, if you will come, God will provide the way for you. We will pay for your food. We'll pay for your rooms and all of that stuff. She had no idea how large this was going to be. She was thinking, if we got a couple thousand dollars, that would take care of it. Well, Miles Monroe gets up, and he says that Miss Miles, Miss Evelyn, has a vision to go to Russia. But she, he says, she says she needs a couple thousand dollars, but I believe she's going to need much more than that. And he said, God has just laid on my heart that there are at least a thousand businessmen in this, this uh, place tonight. It was a huge place, a huge auditorium, a couple thousand people there. He said, so I know there's at least a thousand people here who God is speaking to right now. And there's got to be at least 40 of you who will give a thousand people or a thousand dollars to this ministry to help Miss Evelyn to go down and minister to these ladies. He said, I know there's at least 40 people here who will give a thousand, uh, give a thousand dollars. And they started standing up. I was just amazed. I stood there and watched. And, and the long and short of it is, by the time the offering was taken and counted, there was $44,000 came in that night. $44,000. Miss Evelyn was able to go to Russia, and much to her surprise, she was expecting maybe a couple hundred ladies. She had over 1,300 ladies who came to the conference when they got to Russia in Moscow. She was just amazed. Over uh, 1,300 of them. Some of them rode as long as three days by train with a pack of crackers. That's all they had to eat the whole three days they were, they were traveling. Traveled all the way to Moscow to this conference. And one of those ladies, by the way, was the wife of a man who had, had an epiphany. He had a, he had a, a kind of a, a Apostle Paul type of experience uh, when he was a soldier. He was a soldier in the Ukraine. And he had a visitation of Jesus. He said he was, he was in a bar one night of all places and said Jesus appeared to him and spoke to him and said, you've got to change your life and come and follow me. I have something for you to do. This was Jesus. And he revealed himself to this man. And, his, and, and this man, uh, Pastor Vasily, uh, Victor Vasily. From, uh, and his church was up in a place called Nizhnevartovsk. Everybody say that real fast. Nizhnevartovsk. Can you say that fast? I can't say it slow, hardly. Nizhnevartovsk. And it's way up in Siberia. It's about, uh, about 50 miles from the end of the earth, really. I mean, it's, it's right at the North Pole. 
And you talk about cold. It is so cold up there. I mean, I could come up with a whole lot of uh, illustrations of how cold it probably is, but I won't. I'll, I'll, uh, let me just put it this way. The toilets are outside, and you don't want to go. It's how cold it is. But uh, anyway, Pastor Vasili's wife, who at that time, when Evelyn went to, when Miss Evelyn went to Moscow, she was a very famous pop star in Russia. And everybody just idolized her. She's a very, very beautiful woman. You know, just tall, slender, gorgeous lady. And she didn't know Jesus. But her husband insisted that she come to this conference. And you know, in Russia, when the husband tells the wife to do something, she does it. So she goes to this conference, you know, conference not really wanting to go. But while she is there and Miss Evelyn is ministering, she points her out. And prophesies to her. Well, she breaks down. And long and short of it is, she gave her life to Jesus Christ that night. And, and God just, just did something so incredible in her. But what I'm saying is that Miss Evelyn had a vision of what God wanted to do in Moscow. And someone else caught that vision. Miles Monroe. God used him. To impart that vision to other people to tell them that God wanted to do more. Because Ephesians 3.20 says he's exceedingly abundantly able to do above and beyond anything we can ask or think according to the power that's at work within us. So you recognize that God wanted to do more. And God did so much more than she even imagined that God would do in that conference. When Pastor Miles first went to Russia in 1990, the, the uh, Berlin Wall had just come down, I believe it was 1990, somewhere around in that neighborhood. Whenever it came down, it was right after. But God spoke to him distinctly and told him to go to Russia. And he went to Russia, and since then, over 762 churches have been established as a result of, of Pastor Miles going to Russia. He had a vision. God gave him a vision for Russia. It takes vision to do anything. But we have to see it in our heart. And when we see it in our heart, we see it long before anybody else sees it. You know what I'm saying? We see it. Others can't see it until they begin to see it materialize. It's like when we walked into this building and we saw what we saw, and someone told me after that, said, I didn't see it. I couldn't see what you were seeing. But after they see it, then they can see what I was seeing. You know? And, and so someone has to have the vision for it. I want to share this illustration with you that, that Miles had written down. He said, in the mid-20th the mid century in Bangkok, Thailand, the government wanted to build a large highway through a village. Yet in the path of the planned road was a Buddhist monastery with a little chapel. So they had to reclo- relocate the monastery, including a heavy 11-foot clay statue of Buddha, to another place. Using a crane, the government workers moved the monastery in sections. When the workers transported the statue of Buddha to the new location and began to lower it to the, into place, however, the clay on the statue started to crumble and fall off. The people were afraid because this was a precious religious symbol to them and they didn't want it to be destroyed. Yet the more the workers tried to place the statue, the more it fell apart until eventually all the clay was falling off. 
Suddenly, the workers stared in amazement because as the clay fell away, something unexpected was revealed. The statue was pure gold underneath. Before the statue was moved, people thought it was worth about $50,000. Today, that golden Buddha is worth millions, and because of the story behind it, it is visited by hundreds of thousands of people every year. This story illustrates that what we can, what we can see is not necessarily what really is. I believe that many of us are living as clay vessels when in reality we are pure gold inside. Our lives do not reflect who we truly are or what we can be. I travel around the world speaking to various groups, and I meet people on every continent who have no sense of personal purpose, and I see them struggling with the aimless or misdirected lives. God wants you to see what he sees in you. God wants to understand how valuable you are. And when you get a vision of that, and you begin to understand how valuable you are to God and how much God has invested in you, it will change the way you perceive yourself and your worth to God, your self-worth to Him, and will change your direction, will give you vision as to what God wants to do with your life. Don't ever discount yourself. This old idiom that we have accepted as believers when we come to Christ. Now, I grew up as a kid, and I, I would hear preachers stand in the pulpit and say, we are just all no worm in the eyes of God. I'm not a worm. He might have been a worm, but I ain't no worm. I'm sorry. I'm a man of God. He lives inside me, and he has given me power to do things, incredible things, greater things than Jesus even did. He's given me the ability to do that because of the power that lives within me. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us, can we not? So don't ever think of yourself as less than, okay? You are more than. You are more than a conqueror through him who loved you and gave himself for you. Think of that. You're more. You're way more than what we think we are. You are never a less than. Except when it comes to being a servant to one another. For brethren, you be called unto liberty. Only use liberty not as an occasion to serve the flesh, but by love, love serve one another. Learn, learn to serve. That's, that's, that's the key thing right there. I'm going to put this somewhere because I've got all the Scripture written down that I need this morning. But I want to share, share that with you because I want you to understand how important having vision is. Because if we don't have vision, we run aimlessly. You know, we just sit out and say, well, I'm going to go somewhere. Well, you might end up going north, south, east, west. You might encounter hardship, trouble, or you might discover something. I don't know. Probably what you will discover is that you're lost. I remember hearing the story one time of an of a, of a, um, airplane that's in flight. And in mid-flight, the captain comes in through the cockpit, and he says, ladies and gentlemen, I have an announcement to make. We're lost. He come back on a couple minutes later, and he says, I have another announcement to make. Though we are lost, we're making good time. <laughs> and some people feel that way. You know, I'm lost. I don't know where I'm going, but I'm making good time. I'm having a good, good, good time along the way. But eventually, what's going to happen is you're going to discover that your life has no meaning, that you're lost. You don't know where you're going. But what I want to do this morning is to help us to see as a church, as a body of believers, that God has given us a vision that God has taken us somewhere. We're going places with Him. 
Now, he's, he's given us the vision, and, and, and I, want you, I want you to understand this, that God, when God put this vision in my heart, I'd gone away and, and prayed and fasted for a solid week, and, and this vision isn't something that God just gave me for Destiny City. This is the vision that God put in my heart for our ministry here in Salisbury, but Destiny City is very much a part of the vision that God has instilled inside of me. And I remember being in Mexico several years ago, and uh, that was probably around 2006 or seven, somewhere like that, and, and a prophet of God, we just met this guy, and he said to me, uh, and, and, and this guy's from Cleveland, Tennessee, and country as country can be. I mean, if there ever was a poster child for being country, this guy's name is Grover Hope. And he's the poster child for country. He was, he was country way before country was ever cool. And he still is. And, 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 and he talks country. I mean, I understand him because I grew up in country ease. You know, I, I, I speak it very well. I speak country. I know what y'all means and yuns and everything else. So, so uh, I, I, I'm, I'm cool with it. But we were in a swimming pool in Zibatanel. We were getting ready to embark upon a, a week of intense ministry. And we'd just gotten there and, and uh, we'd just gotten in our rooms and stuff. So we were all just, you know, we just needed a little chill time. So we go down to the pool. And this guy whom I had never met, I met him and I, I, I talked to him for about five minutes. And I asked him, I said, what do you do? He said, well, I'm a prophet. I said, oh, great. Here I am in Mexico, going to be stuck a week with this prophet. And he said, yeah. He said, I'm a prophet. He said, God's given me a, a word for you and your wife. I'm like, I just met this guy. He, God's given him a word for me and my wife. I said, Wow. Okay, and all the time, you know, I'm thinking inside, cuckoo, cuckoo, cuckoo. But, you know, we, we, next day we went and we did ministry. We had a great time in the Lord, had a powerful time of ministry. We come back to the pool that night after, after we had ministered and we're all sweaty and everything. We come back, the first thing we want to do is shuck off and get in the pool, you know. So we changed our clothes and put on the trunks and go jump in the pool. Next thing you know, he's in there again, that big old Tennessee smile. And we're talking a little bit, you know, we talk, we get to know a little bit more about each other, and he, and he just stops. He says, God's given me a word for you and your wife. I can't tell you what it is right now. I got to pray over a little bit more. God's given me a word for you, and when, when, when he's ready, I'll give it to you. I said, okay. And again, you know, the cuckoo clock. It's cuckoo, cuckoo. Because I run into all types, you know, all kinds, all the time, you know, and I'm just thinking, you know. And the next night, same thing, you know, go have a powerful time of ministry. And he preaches and just preaches like a, like a man on fire. And we come back and again, the same thing. And this went on all week long until the last day that we were there. And I'm thinking, praise God, maybe he forgot. You know? But by this time, I'm getting to know him a little bit more. And really see his heart. And maybe that's why God wanted me, wanted him to wait wasn't so much that what he had was so uh, earth-shattering, but that I needed to know him in order that I would trust him enough to hear, you know? But anyway, the last night we were in the pool, and, 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 and Grover says, well, so here's the word God gave for you. He said, now, he said, 
God put a big vision in your heart. <laughs> and I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lay off the country stuff because you really need to hear what he said. So God's put a big vision in your heart. And he said, you're going to accomplish the vision that God has put there, but not in the way you think. And he said, you're going to go through a tough, tough time. He said, have you got anybody in your church that, that has it out for you or somebody that, you know, that, and we did. I, I won't go into all that, but we had somebody who really didn't like us, didn't want us to be at the church, never wanted us to be there, but, you know, we, we knew God had called us there. But anyway, this person was always undermining at every turn. And, and so I said, well, there is one person that I can think of. I can't think of anybody else. He said, well, it may, may be him, it may not be him, but he said, there's somebody in your church that said, and you're going to go through a tough time. He says, he said, people are going to leave you. He said, people are going to leave you, and, and you'll be surprised at who leaves, and you'll be surprised at who stays. I'm like, wow. And I'm pondering these things in my heart, and... And, you know, when somebody tells you something like that, it's like somebody saying, if you go down that road, you're going to have a wreck. And you're always on the lookout for it, and you're just, you know. And, and lo and behold, when we get back, things go well for a while. Then all of a sudden, like a speeding freight train with no way to stop, everything just happens, and it's like, boom, calamity. And it's like, wow, well, I didn't see that coming. I didn't see that coming. And people that you, that you had trusted and everything else, you know, rise up against you. And the next thing you know, it's just boom. And you, it's like, wow, God. But, you know, if we had not gotten that prophetic word, we would have been so unprepared for what was coming. But God prepared our hearts. And so, you know, when it happened, our world didn't fall apart because we, God had told us that it was going to happen. Though it didn't happen the way that we thought it would happen. It was just so bizarre. It was just like, wow. But we knew that God was doing something. And at the time, we couldn't see it. And later on, we had another prophet to tell us that God had to do that to get us out of where we were, to get us where we are now. So, so God did it. We understand that. So, you know, we don't hold any, any hard feelings or any bitterness toward any man for anything that happened. Though, you know, there were things that happened. We just, we can't go there. We can't dwell there. We can't park our tent there. But God put this vision in my heart. And, and, and when God had put the vision in my heart, I'm thinking, God, how are you going to fulfill this vision you put in my heart? I, I, I didn't see it. You know, when we were meeting with another church down in Rockwell, and, and we're just starting out, you couldn't see it. And when we were meeting at the end, you know, and, and, and week after week, meeting at another place and rented facilities, you couldn't see it. Even when we're meeting over at Livingstone College, in the natural, you couldn't see it. But in my heart, God had put a vision that would not die. Because your vision will outlive everything else, because if God puts it there, it will happen. Remember what God told Abraham would happen, and it happened, even though not the way that Abraham expected it to happen. You know, God told him that, he, the, the, that through Isaac the earth would be blessed, and, and, and Abraham, though God had spoken, and Abraham had faith to believe God that it would happen, and he called those things which were not as though they were. 
That's what we had to continually do. Becky and I would keep calling those things which were not as though they were, knowing that God was going to fulfill the vision he had put in our heart. Well, God has got a good start on it, but there's so much more that God wants to do. And the thing of it is, you're a part of that vision. That's why I feel that it's necessary that I share this vision with you so that you can get a hold of it, so that you can with it. And I've written it down. And if anybody ever wants a copy of this, as a matter of fact, about a year ago, I put copies out for people to get. If you want a copy, I can run you a copy of the vision that God's put in my heart for the church. But I want to share it with you. And this is just just part and parcel. This is the meat of the vision that God has put in my heart. And as I shared with you, Habakkuk 2, 2 and 3 says that, uh, write the vision and make it plain on tablets that that he may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time. But at the end it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it because it will surely come. It will not tarry. God's doing something. I want you to understand that. God is fulfilling that vision. Now, what is the Destiny City mission statement? Anybody know? Say it loud. Helping others find and fulfill their God-given destiny. There you go. To help people find and fulfill their God-given destiny. Now, that says a lot, doesn't it? It doesn't say much if you have no vision. But if you have vision, it says a lot. Because you can see how we can help others find and fulfill their God-given destiny. How do we do that? Well, first of all, you have to understand that you do have a a God-given destiny. Now, you can fulfill the God-given destiny that He has given you, or you can try to fulfill your own destiny and miss what God has. You know, we have the choice. Are we going to fulfill our God-given destiny? The choice is yours. God won't make you fulfill his destiny. I believe Elvis Presley had a different destiny than the one he fulfilled. In the eyes of man, he was great. He could have been so much more in the eyes of God if he would have turned those talents and those gifts that God had given him toward him. I believe that. And I believe we'll have to give an account for those things and how we use them. And I don't want to, I'm not bashing Elvis. I'm not doing that. I'm just using that as an example. So here we go. Here's the Destiny City vision statement. Number one. We exist, first of all, to honor God and advance his kingdom. To honor God and advance his kingdom. How? Through family ministry, community outreach, church planting, and world missions. Everybody got that? Family ministry, community outreach, church planting, and world missions. That's how God has told us to do it. Not just to plant a church and and put up a sign and say, y'all come. We got so much more to do, but we have to be trained in order to do it. You know, when they built Paris Island and they built Fort Bragg, they built it with a purpose. Now, they didn't just build Fort Bragg and they didn't just build Paris Island and get a bunch of people to come and have soldiers that went forth from there, did they? No, they had to do what before they were ready to go? They had to train them. They had to train the soldiers as to what to do in order to fulfill the objectives that were before them, their mission. Now, number two... The way that we're going to do that is develop an apostolic training center. Now, what do I mean when I say apostolic? When everybody thinks of apostolic, we think we get a bunch of apostles around with long beards and everything and tell everybody what to do. No, it has nothing to do with that. I firmly believe that God has called fathers into the body of Christ. Those that are shepherds over the body of Christ to love people, to raise them up as children. As, as, as believers, to help them to come to maturity. What is our greatest desire for our children? 
Do we want them to stay babies? You know, I mean, sometimes we'd, we think we would like for them to until we get tired of them crying and sucking the bottle and everything else and changing diapers. Then we want them to grow. We, we want to see them doing something different. And, and we desire to see them grow up and become men and women of their own and have what? Come on. Ronnie, you just had one. Have children so you can be what? Happy. Grandparents. I don't think anything makes me happier than having those grandbabies. This is why they call them grandchildren. They're grand. As a matter of fact, if I would have known they were going to be so much fun, we would have figured out a way to have them first. They're precious. But there's just something about seeing your children's children. There's something about the heart of a spiritual father when he sees his children that he has nurtured and raised and, and, and poured into begin to become productive in the kingdom of God and to begin to tell others about Jesus and begin to reproduce and have children of their own that they disciple. You see how that works? That's, that's God's plan. And, and so we, we do it through an apostolic training center. What do I mean? Well, to, to be an apostolic training center, we have to have a purpose. And our purpose is Ephesians 4.11. To equip the believers to do the work of the ministry. To equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. How do we equip? Well, how can we do something unless we are told how to do it? I remember when we were putting this place together and everything... I, I, I wanted to do something, and we'd pretty much painted everything we could paint, and, and, and I probably carried three buckets of paint out in my clothes, but anyway, that's another story. But we were putting all this, this base molding around, and for those of you who don't know, this is a 16,000-square-foot building, 16,000 square feet. So that means we got a lot. I don't know how many linear feet did we figure we had in this place, Frank? probably a quarter mile at least of baseboard of, of that black molding that goes all the way around everywhere. And a bunch of it had to be done, and we had rolls of it. And I thought, well, I'm going to try to do some of this. So I get out on my hands and knees, and I start working. And, and next thing you know, I feel somebody breathing down my neck. And I look up, and there's Frank. And he was very kind because he saw me struggling. And I was trying to get this stuff to go into the corner and I started to cut it to go into the corner, piece it, you know. And he says, oh, no, no, you don't have to do that. So he gets in on his hands and knees, and he takes the time to show me how to score it so that it will fit into the corner and to cut the little ends out and stuff. I mean, just, just little tricks to get it to work. I'm like, this, this is cool. I can do this. So, you know, we, we started doing it, and after a while, someone came and rescued me, and so let me go do something else. But, but I, I found out that I could do it if someone took the time to teach me how. We need to be taught how to do it. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 28 and 19, he says, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe whatsoever I've commanded, and lo, I am with you. I obey my commandments, and lo, I am with you always until the end of the earth. But the thing of it is, he said, go and make disciples. And that word disciples is the word mathetes, M-A-T-H-E-T-E-S in the Greek. It's from where we get the word math. It's mathetes. 
And it, it, it literally means to be one who is disposed to learn, a learner. Everybody say a learner. A disciple is simply a learner. That's what we are. So then we struggle with that. Lord, I want to be a disciple. And the Lord's like, okay. Okay. And, you know, we, we think a, a disciple is something entirely different. Someone is perfect, you know, has their hair perfect, has everything perfect. That's a disciple. That's not a disciple. That's a messed up human being. But a disciple is someone who is growing in the grace and the knowledge of God. One who is disposed to learn, who has an, an, a, a desire to learn. You cannot make someone a disciple unless they want to be. That's the cool thing about it. God has an all-volunteer army. Do you know that? Because when we become believers, we're part of his family. And so we are to equip the body of Christ through an apostolic ministry. Now, how do we do that? We, we do this by training them to, into leaders, sending them forth to fulfill their God-given destiny through preaching and teaching of the Word and proper disciplines. And, and when we do this, we believe that, that believers will discover who they are in Christ. And because of this, believers will begin to realize their talents, their spiritual and natural gifts. And they will begin to find opportunity to fulfill or to, to function in those giftings that God has given them in order to do this, to reach the seven mountains of our culture. Has anybody noticed our sign out front? Has anybody been puzzled as to what our sign means? It's not just cute and frilly. It has purpose, the sign, because it represents the seven mountains of our culture. What are the seven mountains of our culture? Well, the one that that we so often get trapped in in the church is the mountain of religion. Everybody say religion. We think that in order to please God, we've got to come into the church and live there. And the thing that would be most pleasing to God is go live in a monastery. And, and, and the church would want you to think that way. That's why certain denominations and religions don't want you to really get into the Word of God. They, you know, they, they, they want those that are over you who control your thinking and, and your lives to be knowledgeable in the Word of God. But they don't want you to be knowledgeable. Because if you are knowledgeable in the Word of God, you'll begin to understand what kind of charlatans they really are. That they really don't want you to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. But God didn't call us to do that, did he? God called us as pastors to shepherd. What did Jesus say to Peter in John chapter 20? Y'all remember that when he had this conversation with, Jesus, with, with Peter and he asked him, do you love me? Remember that? And he said, if you love me, Peter, he says, take care of my sheep. And then he asked him again, Peter, do you love me? Peter said, oh, yeah. And Jesus said, Peter, if you love me, feed my lambs. What did he mean? Feed my lambs. Feed them the word. Give them the word. Give them the word so they can grow. So they can grow. You know? And, and, and I, I, I fir- firmly believe in growth. And I firmly believe in feeding. And, 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 and I believe that we need to grow to a place where we desire the meat of the word and not just want to suck on the milk. My little grandson is that place in his life where he's wanting to eat everything. 
If it ain't moving, he'll eat it. If it even if it is moving, if he can get in his mouth, he'll eat it. He loves to eat. But, you know, it wasn't long ago, all he wanted was milk. That's all he wanted. Mama came around, you know, she was there for one purpose, milk. Mommy equals milk. And that's what he desired. And he had a desire for that. And if he didn't get it, you know what he would do? Or he'd go after it. I mean, when he got a little older. And even now, still, he's 18 months old, 16, 18 months old, somewhere around in there, and he's still desiring the sincere milk. He wants it. And that's good because that's what makes him grow, and that's good. But he's getting to the place now where he can begin to eat solid stuff. It's not going to be long. He's going to be tearing into a steak. Now, his older brother, when they come over to our house, you know what he likes? He likes stank. That's what he calls it. Pop, pop, I love stank. Son, you can have all the stank you want. But he desires it. He wants it. So that's what we have to to do is is to feed. Well, the first mountain of our culture then is religion. That's the one where we want to be, where we want to hang out and everything. But, But that's not really what it's all about. That's not kingdom. Because kingdom encompasses all these other things. How about family? You know, we've got to make Jesus Lord in the church, of course, yes. But not just Lord in the church, Lord in the family. And we've got to have healthy families. We've got to help families to become healthy and, and, and strong in the Lord so that they can fulfill their God-given destiny. And, and education. Why should the devil and why should we have ungodly, unprincipled, you know, doctors and teachers teaching our children Wrong things about God and about culture and about everything else. Teaching them that what is wrong is right and what's wrong is uh, right is wrong. That's what's being taught in our public school systems today. But how can we change that? We can't change it if we just sit back and if we don't become teachers ourselves, if we don't teach and raise up educators in order to go into the public arena and to go into the public schools and to begin to educate. You know? Because the devil will teach us all the wrong things. And have us believing it. So we've got to get into the realm of education. I, I, I grew up in a church when I was a kid that almost believed, it was almost a doctrine in the church that you check your brains at the door. When you become a believer, you just get dumb. You, you don't have anything to do with the world. You just love God and you just get in your Bible and you stay there. But that's not what Jesus said. Is it? That's not where we live. That's not reality. So we have to change it. We have to change our educational system. How? By getting involved, by getting in it, by taking it over. The kingdom of God suffers violence, but the violent take it by force, forcefully advancing the kingdom of God in education, in business, in business. Did you know that the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the righteous? You know, I almost bought a lottery ticket the other day. I told my wife that. I said, the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the righteous. Maybe I ought to go buy several of the lottery tickets so I can win this thing. Why should the, the devil get it? And build more casinos and stuff. Why can't we build churches and, and give it to the poor and help people? You know? And if the Holy Spirit would have told me to do it, I would have done it. I would have, I would have emptied out my bank account in order to get it. If God would have told me to do it, but he didn't tell me to do it. The Holy Spirit just checked me and says, remember what it says? 
in Haggai chapter 2 that the gold is mine and the silver is mine? And they can give away paper money and they can give away promises. But there's no substance behind it. God's promises are true. God will take care of us. So our trust is in him, not in the lottery. So anyway, I'm not getting on people who, if you bought a ticket, shame on you. Bless you. I do not condemn you, my child. Go and sin no more. Next time, give it to missions. It'll go further. So business. We need to train people in business how to do business in a godly way. How to be men and women of integrity. How to produce quality. How to, how to take what wealth the, the, that has been laid up for the righteous. How do we get it? Is it wrong to be wealthy? No. Jesus could have never done his ministry if he didn't know some wealthy people. Mary of Magdalene and Martha. I mean, hey, folks, they had some cash. They supported Jesus' ministry. They kept him and his 12 disciples going. God used them to, to spread the gospel. And God wants to use godly people who have a heart for him to spread the gospel. And so we need businessmen. We need businesswomen. And, and, and if God's called you into business, hey, I salute you. I pray for you. I pray that God blesses you. And that you bless the kingdom. Amen? How about media? I'm, I'm, I'm so happy that God is using media. And I was so delighted this summer when a little church down in Georgia, Woodlawn Church down in Georgia, produced a movie called, what is it? War Room. Produced a movie called War Room. That was done locally, by the way. A lot of local people. My daughter, my granddaughter was in, was in one scene. I didn't get to see her, but she was in there. It was so quick. I was like, where'd she go? There she is. You know, it was so quick. But, but they used local people, and they did it locally. The skyline that you saw in the movie was down and shot down in Charlotte. So it was all done right here. But do you know that it was the number one grossing movie of the summer? War Room? Number one. Outsold all the other movies that Hollywood's produced and everything else. And I thought, that is so awesome. And some people have criticized them because they're not being religious. I just don't think the church ought to be involved in movie making. I believe the church ought to be involved in every area of society in order to change it. The problem is that the church has become the huddled masses. We've taken our influence and we brought it into the church where we complained about everything that's going on in the world and we've done nothing to change it. How are we going to change it? God needs to raise up godly movie stars and godly producers. People who have a talent and an art for that. Don't ask me to act because I can't. I just act like me. That's it. I can't be nothing else. But we need the media. We need those arts and entertainment. We need to take over the newspapers so we can print good stuff. It's amazing that most of the newspapers today are a dying breed anyway. We need to take over the 
broadcasting stations and as Christians so that we can, we can report the news properly and correctly. Quit telling so many stinking lies. <laughs> but we need to be involved in those, those endeavors. We have a, have a Christian guy that's on WBT. Y'all probably know him, WBTV. He lives here in Salisbury. And, and you know, we, he does a lot of reporting. He has a Salisbury branch up here. And he's a, he's a committed Christian. And I thank God that we have those kind of people that, that are there. And we have a lot of folks, in, and they're growing in numbers. And I believe that as a church, we ought to encourage that. We ought to help people to get there. Now, the other one is arts and entertainment, of course, and then government. Government. Where is it written in the Constitution of the United States of America that you cannot be a committed Christian and run for president? Anybody know where it's at? Well, the news media would have you believe that that be the case, that you can't be a committed Christian and a a Bible-believing, practicing Christian. I mean, it's okay for you to have religion. It's okay for you to go to church. It's okay for you to just don't be a Christian the rest of the time. So be a Christian when you're in church, but don't, don't bring that religion stuff around us. That's the way that it is in, in that particular realm. But I'm, I'm thankful that there are people that are principled, that God is raising up. We ought to support those people, but more importantly, we ought to produce those people. We ought to encourage that. We shouldn't demean that. We shouldn't try to discourage that among people. I mean, not everybody is called to be a preacher. Not everybody's called to be an evangelist or a pastor or a teacher or a prophet. Some people are called to high office. Wouldn't it be amazing if the next president of the United States or the future president of the United States was sitting in this congregation this morning? What if Elijah were what if you were the president of the United States of America? What if God laid his hand on you and said, Son, you're to be the president of the United States of America? That would be so awesome to know that we had someone in our midst that we could pray for and get behind the support that was going to be the president of the United States of America. And God prophetically spoke it so that we knew that it was happening just as he did with David. David was about his age when, God, when Samuel laid his hands on him and anointed him to be the king over Israel. And then God began to train him and raise him up. He was trained as a shepherd. He was trained uh, as a warrior. He was trained in all those endeavors before he became the king. He had to go through this training in order to get there. He was training for reigning. See, that's what it's all about here, that God raises us up, that we have a prophetic word spoken to us so that we know and we have a vision where God is taking us, and we help instill that vision. We get behind that vision. We encourage that vision that God has put in the hearts of people and that we do not, do not try to destroy or tear down what God has called them to do. Now, those are the seven mountains. And what is the purpose of it? To bring us about a unified worship and service. And as each believer, each believer is maturing and coming to his or her place in the body, each becomes responsible in service to God and others. Therefore, the ministry of God is more meaningful and fulfilling, and the work of God is accomplished through reaching out. Now, the thing about, about being a believer, the thing that's exciting to me, if I were just a, a Christian, if all I was was, was wearing the brand, not participating, I'd be like one of those guys that are, are so full of talent and everything else, and, and you're sitting on the bench in a football game, and for whatever reason, somebody who is, who is not as called or gifted as you are to be out there, they're, they're out on the field playing. And you know that you're called. You know that you got the, the gifts and the abilities to do it, and yet somebody else is out there playing, and you don't have an opportunity to get in. That would be frustrating to me. Wouldn't you? Same thing in church. There are opportunities for you to serve. 
And God wants to use your calling and your giftings that he has put inside of you to fulfill the ministry that he has for you. Now, I can't always recognize that. As much as I like to, as much as I want to, I cannot. But God gives you the ability to know what's inside of you. I can't tell you what's inside of you. But if you sense that something is inside of you and God is calling you to do something, let me know because we will certainly give you opportunity to do it because there's lots of places to serve. We need teachers. We need workers. We need all of these. We need everybody to get involved. I saw this thing on Facebook this week. I don't know who sent it out, but it was brilliant. It was a, it was a, it was a cartoon of a husband and a wife. And, and she opens a piece of mail and she holds it up. And he said, what's that? Oh, she said, oh, it's just a letter from the church. We're being called into active, active ministry. Oh, we're being called into active service is what it says. We're being called into service. It's our church sending out a letter. So if you haven't gotten your letter yet, let me just go ahead and say it here. We'll send you one if you need it to be called into service, that you are called into service. Each one of us is called to do something. Now, how can we help you to grow? Number one, I believe in life groups. For the past couple of years, up until uh, this thing broke, and I'm glad that, that we listened to the Lord when we did, Todd, when, when we, we suspended our life group back in the summer because things were happening all around us and all, and, and just about the time that we did, this place became available, and so all of our efforts had to be shifted toward this. But before that, for about a year and a half, we met at Todd's house on, on uh, Thursday nights, and we just had the best time getting to know one another, studying the Word of God together. We took a book called Healing the Sick, and we went through that thing. We actually saw people that were a part of that life group get healed as they went through the process of getting into the Word of God. They grew in their faith and and their knowledge of the Lord and, and, and learned how to stand on the Word of God. And they're healed today. And some are healed, though their symptoms are still there. They know that they're healed, right? So anyway, that's where they are. Life groups. Now, each one of us should be a part of a life group when we get them up, get up and going again. We will in the near future. And our, 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 our life groups, the foundation of our life groups are based upon four C's, which are compassion, community, commitment, and commission. Church growth and planning. God's called us to become a central church by reaching, making disciples, and of having an ongoing church planning strategy locally, regionally, nationally, internationally. God's called us to be a local targeted, uh, to have a local targeted demographic, to be a church that's committed to, committed to ministering to the wholeness of every family member from church to grandparents so that all become a functioning part of the family of God. I'm kind of speeding through this thing because I need to get through. He's called us to local, local and global missions. When we think of missions so often, what do we think about? We think about, you know, saving up a bunch of money and buying a plane ticket and getting on a plane going somewhere else and doing a bunch of work. And we come back and we say, well, I've done my missions work for the year. Praise God, I'm done. Wrong. God's called us first to take care of things at home. When I called uh, EFI and I told them that I was going to have to uh, cancel my trip to Mexico because of things going on here, I was so grateful that our leader could see what was happening. And he says, Don, it's important that you take care of the home front first. I was important for that attitude that he had to understand that we've got things going on here that need to be taken care of and developed before we can go do it somewhere else. But God's called us to be involved locally in missions. He's also called us to be local, uh, involved globally in missions through giving, through working, sending out missionaries short-term, and, and being active in service here in the community and involvement in the local community. To have a strategic purpose, 
And that purpose is to propagate the gospel through every available means, through the outlet of arts, media, music, drama, dance, art, writing, so on and so forth, education, marketing, advertising, technology, involvement in the community. However, any means that God gives us, every means that is available, that we take those tools and use them to spread the gospel. Okay? Last but not least, God's called us to a team concept, and I talked about that a little bit last week. You know that God's called us to be a, a body of believers, and you can read about, read about that, and I think I shared it last week in 1 Corinthians 12, verses uh, 12 through 31, that we are a part of the body. Each one of us are important in that part, to do our part in the body to, so that the body is healthy and does and fulfills what God has designed it for. Now, success to the fulfill, um, fulfillment of the vision is contingent upon an individual responsibility to the team concept. How many are going to watch the Panthers today? All right, now the Panthers have what we call a football, huh, y'all know what it is, team, thank you. Yeah, football team, you win the prize. See me after church. A football team. We don't have a football bunch of individuals. But we have individuals who make up a football team, and they all work together as one, they have one purpose. That's why I felt like it's important that I share this vision with you that God's laid in our heart. How do we do this? Well, I want to share with, with you what's going on behind the scenes so you'll know a little bit, so you're not surprised. We are currently working with another church, our sister church, Northgate Church, to put together a training school, a theological school, more of a training school, a practical training, not just theology, but a practical training school here in this building, and they will be a part of it. We're looking at different um, means of doing that, whether it be by we're looking at possibilities of uh, maybe uh, International School of Ministry, ISOM, or CLST, or, or there are several others that we're, we're looking at right now. Each one of us are taking one to look at, to scope it out, to see which one is going to best fit us. There's no reason for us to try to reinvent the mousetrap, right? If you've got a good mousetrap, get it and use it. Now, if you can prove upon it, that's fine. But we're trying to find that that fits us so that we can be a part of injecting the DNA of the fathers of the church into the school so that it's not just what they want us to learn, but it's what that we feel God is doing here so that it comes together and, and helps others to grow in the knowledge of God and can begin to find their place in ministry because that's a part of the, the church planning strategy. That's a part of the mission strategy that God has given us. As we grow, there will be other opportunities. We have facilities for daycare. Could you imagine how awesome of a daycare we can have here? To minister to the lives and hearts of those young babies. A little child shall lead them. You know, is that something we're going to do immediately? We're going to start a daycare. Yeah, our church started a daycare. Woo-hoo. No, that is something that is potential for the future as the Lord leads. But right now, our top priority, I believe, is to, is to begin to develop the school of training of, of the word to help others to grow so that we can begin to build leaders here that God can use locally and translocally to preach the gospel to, to fulfill the vision that God has put in your heart and the ministry that God's called you to. So that's what God is doing at this time. I just want to share that with you. That's just a little bit of nuts and bolts of what's going on. There's a whole lot more that's going on. 
that we really can't, you know, and as, as I'll, I'll reveal it to you on a needs-to-know basis so that we can all get into it and we can all begin to, to find it. But I will say this. There are areas right now that are needful. And a couple of weeks ago, I sat with my son, Jeremy, who's, who's been right with me step-by-step step, through this whole process of, of, of planning the church, growing the church and everything to this point. Now, y'all know that Jeremy is, is an ordained minister in his own right. And he's also an elder in the church. And, you know, what that means or where that's leading, only God knows. And as, as God points that out, we'll, we'll bring it to you. But one thing that the, that the Lord has, has laid on our hearts to do, Jeremy has, has, has a particular gifting of, of administration, of bringing people together and coordinating. So he has stepped in, and he came to me, and he said, Dad, I just see a lot of things that need to be done, and I know you're so busy and everything, and, and really, you have this level of administration, then you have this level of administration, you have this level of administration. And so he said, can I help you? Can I help you administrate those things? So we've asked Jeremy if he would be the ministry's coordinator. So if you, you know, are looking for an area to serve, would you see Jeremy? Because if you don't see him, guess what? He's going to see you. You don't want him to come to you because you'll be drafted. It's much better to volunteer than it is to be drafted. And you know what it means when you're drafted. We get Big Brian, we get Tuck over here, Big Don back there, take you to a room and have a talk with you. We don't believe in strong arm unless it's necessary. I'm just teasing. But all seriousness aside, we, we do need you. There are areas to serve, and everybody is needed. If we're going to grow, I mean, if you're just content just to be this little, you know, whatever we are, then that's what it'll be, but eventually die if we don't become involved in doing a lot of things. And um, just on the practical side, so that you know we're, we're not just, just sleeping in the ditch, uh, the sign out front that you see, we... Uh, <laughs> I've had a lot of people comment on the sign. You know, it's funny when you see Destiny City loaded. <laughs> we, we wanted to get rid of the bases loaded. For those of you who may not know, at one time where they're sitting over there, there was a, there was a batting cage, and I'm now standing on it, okay? We repurposed the, the wood that was in the batting cage and made this beautiful platform here. But... Uh, uh, that sign had to do with the bases loaded. That's what the batting cage was called. So it, it kind of outshines our other sign. So I went the other day, and within three weeks, we're going to have a double-sided uh, letter sign, you know, that we can put information about what's going on so that you'll know. I mean, you probably thought, I wish you'd change that sign. It's just so annoying. But anyway, something is being done. Things, things are being done behind the scenes. But we just have to do things slowly because we don't have a large, huge reserve of cash. We have to do things when we can. So we have to be wise. So anyway, I just want to let you know that those kind of things are going on. Also, we need help in several different areas. And two key areas is in preschool and nursery. If you could serve in children's church or preschool or, or, or nursery, anytime, I mean, all of us can. I would, but I'm kind of stuck, you know. I mean, I would go to the nursery and serve gladly if I wasn't here, 
But this is where God's called me, and I know that. But for many of you, if you could, if you would, I know you, you, know, you can. It's just a matter of would you, would you, for Jesus, not for me. Would you do it for Jesus? Would you serve those babies? Because Jesus said, as, as, as much as you've done it unto the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. So if you want to think of it that way, serving those babies is serving Jesus in the most honorable way because they certainly need it. So that parents can come and hear the word of God and not be distracted or have to worry about their babies in the nurseries or the preschools and know that they're being taught the word of God. and Know they're in good hands. So those are just a couple of things. There are other things. We need ushers. I mean, guys, you, y'all are a good-looking bunch. And we need ushers. We need people that will greet people when they come in to help park cars. I mean, have y'all looked at our parking lot? Until we can do better, we got to do better. You know what I'm saying? And I'll, I'll just tell you, our parking lot looks like a war zone out here especially. And not much we can do about it because that's a very expensive thing. But we can help people park. I mean, we can take them, direct them. And, and, and as we grow, that's going to become even more essential. Well, you know, we will never grow until we see it as being essential and begin to take care of those things. So there's a lot of areas to serve, but the thing of it is we all got to do it together. And I know y'all heard this. Good Lord, you've seen it written on posters and everything else. If you go to Walmart, you see it. What does it say about team? It says, together, everyone achieves more. <laughs> together, everyone achieves more. I mean, that's a, that's a saying, but it's true. Together, everybody achieves more. You know, when Jesus fed the, fed the 5,000, what did he do first? Come on. Well, he prayed, yes. He prayed, but he didn't, he didn't stop there. And that's what we do a lot of times. We pray, oh, God, send labors. But we don't labor. We think if we just pray, God will send, something, send somebody to do what he's called us to do. That's not the way it works. You know, I think the reason most of us don't want to pray that prayer is because we're afraid that God will call us. And then we'll have to do something. But I know that's not true here. Because I know y'all want to be involved. So those are some areas that you can be involved in. So together, everyone achieves more. And so there it is. That's what God's called us to do. Now, last thing, cooperation and being in step, you know, being in step. We don't want to do anything that God don't call us to do. We don't. But we want to do everything that he calls us to do. We don't want to leave any job undone that the Lord has laid on our heart to do. And in order to do this, Galatians 5.25 says this in the New International Version. It says that we, since we live by the Spirit, let us do what? Keep in step with the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. That we all march together. That we all do this thing. Y'all say this with me. We can do this thing. We can. Remember the elephant and the mouse? Y'all remember last week, you know, elephant and mouse going across the shaky bridge, things just rattling, and they get to the other side. The elephant's hitched to ride, or the mouse is hitched to ride on the elephant's back, and he gets to the other side, and he runs up to the elephant's ear, and he says, boy, we sure shook that thing, didn't we? And so we're going to do a lot, a lot of shaking around, and no matter how big, how small you are, we're going to do it. We're going to do it, because that's what's God, what God has called us to do, but we've got to have a vision to do it. This is what I believe God is calling us to do. It's a big vision. It's going to take a lot of work. 
If we're not afraid of work, it will happen. Because that's what God has put us here for. God didn't put us in this building just to enjoy it. It's cool, you know. God put us in here to invite people. Fill it up. Fill it up. To invite people, fill it up. Encourage people to come and to minister to them while they're here. Make them feel at home. Anybody ever gone to somebody's house and when you came in, they went in another room? (laughs) Invited you and didn't offer you anything to drink or nothing? Didn't tell you where the bathroom was at? You come in and they disappear. You know, that's kind of what it's like if we don't get involved. We invite guests to come and then we don't serve them. God's called us to serve. I'm here to serve you, by the way. I'm here to serve you. And I want you to know that. I'm, I'm your leader, but I'm your servant leader. I'm here to serve you. That's first and foremost. That's what God has called me for. And, and I want to, but I want to help you to grow and become what God has called you to become, to be in the body of Christ. Some of you may say, well, I'm, it's too late for me. I am what I am. I'm not going to change. Well, you've already set your mind there, and that's your mindset. But change your mindset. Stop thinking about where you are. Think on things above where Christ is. Raise your standards. Raise your vision. See what God sees. See what he wants you to see. Become involved in the kingdom. That's what it's all about. Now, out on that that sign out front, there's one larger mountain that stands over the other ones. There's seven small mountains, but there's one big mountain that stands over them all. That represents the kingdom of God. It's all about the kingdom. Everything we do is about the kingdom. Serving the king of kings and the Lord of lords. If we do that, we do it with all that we got. We do it with everything that's within us. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Don't be weary in well-doing. For in due season you shall reap if you faint not. Keep working. Work heartily as unto the Lord. Knowing this, that your labors in the Lord are not in vain. Do it for him. Let's get this thing done. Amen. Let's build something great for the kingdom of God. Not for us. For him. So we can all point to Jesus and say, God, look what you've done. Look what you've done. Isn't that great? When people come in, they look at this building and they go like, wow, man, this is cool. I said, no, this is God. This is God. No way we could do this. God's done it, and he's going to do more through you. Everybody stand on your feet. Would you put Ephesians 3.20 up there for me? Ephesians 3.20. Any pick a version. Doesn't matter. Pretty much says the same thing. I want you to say this with me. Ready? Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us. What was that last line? According to what? The power that does what? Works within us. Say it again. Works within us. God's at work within you. He wants to do great things in you, with you, by you, for you, for him. Amen? Amen. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that we will fulfill the mandate that you have given us. 
Lord, that we will fulfill the vision that you've laid upon our heart, God, that we will become a, a, a ministry training center, an apostolic training center, so that we can raise up leaders. We can raise up those, God, that you've called to the seven mountains of our culture, that we will affect change. Lord, that, 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 that people will begin to recognize that when things come around here, they change, that they're not the same as they were when they came in or as they were when they were exposed to what's going on here because, Lord, we want to advance the kingdom of God. It's all about your kingdom. And, Lord, we want to seek first the kingdom and all your righteousness. And we know, Lord, is as we do, all the things that we need to, to, to fulfill the vision you put in our heart will be granted to us. And so we thank you for it, Lord. We trust you. We bless you. We glorify you, Father, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord God. Hallelujah. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Thank you, Lord. You've been listening to Destiny City Church, a community of believers committed to helping others find and fulfill their God-given destiny. For more information, visit us online at destinycity.org.